Well, I want to speak this morning, uh, the third time, on reward and punishment. I never realized the excitement this would cause. Um, I, I thought I had done everything that could be done with Luke 15, um, meditated on it for 60 years, then wrote the book, and sort of, well, that's it. And then I, I began to see other aspects that were just blaring in our face. And so we did this, and I've had more response, more <laughs> anything over this series than I think for a very, very long time. And I think we've come to the last of it. Um, who knows? We might have a number four by the time I get to the end of this. But we're planning this is it. And there comes a point where it is so obvious that Jesus was speaking of our relationship to him and to the Father. He is saying plainly in this end of the parable that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And and so uh, we might sort of move between that. We're, we're talking about the Father and the elder brother, and then we realize we're talking about ourselves in relation to the Father. Hold that in mind. And um, so let's go to it that um, we have seen in those two words, he receives sinners. And the second word, it is necessary that we be glad and rejoice um, over this younger brother coming home. And it's the perfect picture. Jesus is explaining to the Pharisees why it is that he's eating with tax collectors and notorious sinners. And he tells these stories. I, I want you to understand one thing. That no, nobody's stuck where we find them. And so the Pharisees that crop up all over the Gospels, and especially this, he is addressing them directly concerning their concern that he's eating with the wrong kind of people. Um, have you ever thought of this? Because many people say, well, the, the, it never ends. You, you, the father just says to the elder brother, it's necessary that we go and be glad, and it's over. Uh, what's the next? Did, did he? Did he? Um, and, and, of course, I can't answer that question. Maybe um, it is because at that point it's totally us it's talking about. And it's got nothing to do with what the elder brother did. It's got everything to do with what I do. But I want to insert this. Have you ever thought Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee of the Pharisees? And if you put together his life story, such as he's shared it with us through all the epistles, he was in Jerusalem around this time. Have you ever thought of the possibility that Saul of Tarsus was one of these Pharisees that was listening to Jesus and enraged at what Jesus was doing and saying? It is more than possible. And I, I say that because 
as Jesus looked at these Pharisees, he did not look at them as they've reached dead end. This is it. You have arrived at everything you'll ever be. No. Um, did did he address the Pharisees with a wink? Uh, was he saying, you know, well, this is true right now, but um, you should wait and see what the next year holds? Um, I don't know. All I can say is, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we know Jesus after the flesh no longer. Um, meaning we no longer know Jesus as, as a physical human being standing in front of us. Um, but he says, we don't know that anymore. Is it possible that he was making just a slight reference that he had known him, that they had stood eye to eye, only Saul as a raging Pharisee? I don't know. But hold it in mind. We are dealing, you see, okay, there, there's, let, let's get to it. It, it says here in um, Luke chapter 15, um, in verse 7, when he's talking about the shepherd looking for the sheep, he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Now, forget that word repent. We're going to get to that in a minute. Um, but leaving it just as it is, he said that there was this one, and this one knew the necessity of a total radical life change. And he said that there is joy over such a person. And then um, he says in verse 10, when it's the woman and the coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So that's the second time. He, he, he says, there's the one who knows, the one who has received the revelation, and there may be 99 in terms of the sheep, uh, nine in terms of the coin, they just, they don't get it. They don't get it. And, and he says it with tongue in cheek. There is a certain beautiful sarcasm when he says that they have no need of repentance. They have no need of a life change. They're, 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 they've got it together. They've got it right. He was saying that of the Pharisees, that they were so upset that Jesus was giving himself to these um, taxmen and, and the notorious sinners um, and, and they're standing there and as far as their, their life was us and them and we we need no repentance we are those that uh, have got it all together they need this and Jesus says sure I, I come for the one who needs it I've come for the one who knows that they need it and and uh of course, you 99, you don't need it. So it, um, he said much the same. He said, I, uh, I come to heal the sick, not those who are well. And again, he, on that occasion, it was a sarcasm to the Pharisees. But then when we come to these chapter, uh, verses, at the end here, the elder brother, I've met the 99. The elder brother is the 99 who said, I have no need of repentance. I've met the nine coins that says we have no need of this. 
And Jesus is now directly and so blatantly addressing them. There is no need to say who is the elder brother. I might say very quickly, it was the elder brother that introduced me to the grace of God. When I was around 15, 16, reading that uh, chapter, I felt sorry for the elder brother. I really did, and I'm not kidding. I felt sorry big time. And actually, in talking to my pastor of the church at that time and other ministers, they too kind of felt it. They, they were hesitant to say so. But they, they, yeah, they agreed with me. He got the short end of the stick. Uh, I mean, here is the guy that stays home. He does everything his father wants. He's a moral man and all the rest of it. And, and he's right, he's right. You didn't even give me a young goat. You didn't kill anything. <clears throat> you wouldn't give me a party. And, and all these years I've slaved for you, you did nothing for me. Uh, and I found myself saying, yeah, the kid's right. I mean, he's right. And I found other pastors wouldn't like to admit it, but they were saying the same thing. What, what is Jesus getting at here? The, the elder brother explodes because the younger brother is being in every possible way honored, acclaimed, exalted, rewarded for a whole life of works that were shame on the father. What's it about? Okay. Jesus also said, and let me say this uh, as an introduction, no one comes to the Father but by me. When we get into this, we meet with a Father that Jesus is mirroring as the Heavenly Father. And how can I put it? I have met multitudes of people that cannot accept that the father is good because they had a father that abused them, a father that rejected them, and all the whole list of it. And they are trying to come to God the father through their own father. And Jesus says, no one comes to the father but by me. And in Matthew 11, he's going to say, no one knows the Father except me. And, and I think it's of tremendous importance, especially when we come to uh, what we're going to come to here, that I, I am dealing with God the Father, and the only way I know God the Father is in the face of Jesus Christ. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is not someone else unlike Jesus. To meet Jesus is to meet the Father because the Father has poured all the years into the Son and the Son is everything the Father is except he's not the Father. And the Son has given all he is to the Father and the Father is everything the Son is except he's not the Son. And you have this, to meet the Son is to meet the Father. And I want you to really understand that. Okay. The elder brother, he's a character. Well, when, when you begin to get to know him, and uh, it's taken me 60 years to really get to know this chap, um, he's not nice, not nice at all. Um, on the other hand, I think I'd prefer to have him as my next door neighbor, 
than I would uh, many younger brothers. But um, he's returning from a day's work. And of course, he's the boss man. So when I say a day's work, it meant that he sat under a tree, um, swatting flies, watching others work, shouting at them, demanding more work, criticizing everything they did. It's the kind of fellow he was. And now his day is over, so it's late afternoon, and it's important we get the time. Jesus is portraying this as late afternoon, and he is coming across the fields. And across the fields, on the breeze, he hears the sound of music, laughter. No, it's not music, it's dancing. It sounds like the whole village has gone absolutely crazy. And not only is the sound upon the air, but the smell of roast beef too. And it's arresting him. It's arresting. He's uneasy. He's very uneasy around joy, which you'll always notice among religious people. They are very um, upset at the presence of joy. And that is why holiness and piety has been handed down to us over the centuries as something utterly miserable um, and, and no, not a quiver of the laughter in their face. Um, he's uneasy at this. Do, do you know what I mean? Um, it, it's, it's, it's like ants are crawling under your shirt. I mean, um, I, I don't know what to do. That, that, there, there's a noise in that village of joy. And it's a big party, big party. And, and all this celebration, all of this dancing and joy, without his sanction, nobody's allowed to be happy around here unless I give permission. And um, nothing happens around here without his permission. And, and so feel him. He's walking faster now. He's got to find out what is happening. Now remember, this whole thing began when the Pharisees saw Jesus at a feast and there was noise of laughter and Jesus was having a jolly good time with these unspeakable people. So Jesus now takes that. This was the cause of his saying what was going on and he places it right here. But now you Pharisees, you religious, you're hearing the joy and you're uneasy and you say... We haven't sanctioned it. This is not what belongs within the parameters of our religion. And as he goes, he sees, well, a servant. It, in all probability, it was more a child because any of you that have been to a third world country, you know that as you approach a village, it's the children that meet you half a mile out. Uh, and it's the children that know everything. If you want to know anything about the village, ask the children. They are omnipresent to the village. And, and, but that's really neither here nor there. Um, he meets this either a child or a servant. It doesn't matter. Now, I want you to notice something, and I do this hesitantly because um, I don't want you to think you can't read the Bible without knowing Greek. That would be terrible. But once or twice... You get these words that I have to tell you what they mean in Greek because it changes everything. In verse 26, he summoned one of the servants or whatever 
and began inquiring what these things might be. Now, that sounds very polite. He could be a Brit. I mean, inquiring. You know, he's inquiring. That is absolutely not what the Scripture says in the original language. It's a very specific word that's used there, and it means in your face. It means I'm ready for a fight. It's almost clenched fist. And the the servant cowers before him. And that's what this bully likes. He He's used to making people cower before him and be afraid of him. And, and this was the perfect opportunity. What is going on? And, and he, he's, he's almost threatening the the person that we're going to have a fight unless you let me know. That tells me a lot about this kid. But it says um, he began inquiring. Then this, the, the response was, and this time you've got to read the Hebrew because they were Hebrew people. It says, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf. And we have it translated. He has received him back safe and sound. That's okay, I suppose. But it's a much stronger word in Hebrew. It means that he has received him with shalom. It means he has encompassed him with peace. And it means everything to do with salvation, forgiveness, welcome, or as he had been accused of, receiving, receiving, in fact he uses the word, received him back. And it's that word which means that generous welcome of love, that almost running out to meet you. And he said, the Father has received him. He has given him this welcome back into the family. And it is all shalom now. Shalom. And it's a word much bigger than our English word peace. It means reconciliation. It means all is well. It means healing and wholeness and togetherness. All of that. And that doesn't sit well with the... You see, um, once he heard that, could could I put it this way? The sky fell in. (laughs) Because... And I I think by this time, some of you can understand what I'm talking about, that the structure of his world, and that structure was reward and punishment. And, And please, have you got it in the last two times that I talked, that reward and punishment is woven into the very structure of what we see as justice and rightness. It's it's our world. Only once you get religious, then it's even worse. Because now you've included God into your equation of life, of reward and punishment. And here, when, when the older brother hears this, I can only say it again, everything was unraveled. And I mean everything. Life has been turned upside down. It's nothing makes sense. Can, 
if you really heard me and not just listened from a distance, I hope you have been confused and turned up on your head this last few weeks because that's what Jesus was doing. He was confronting religion in the Pharisees and turning them into a melting pot of confusion as well as rage. They don't know what to do. Turn out the lights. Our part is over. This was Jesus coming in with something no one had ever seen or thought of before. And I hope you got that. This elder brother, he is, as I said, he sums up all the other parables. He lived by reward and punishment. He's going to say to his father in a few verses, um, and in our translations it usually says, all these years I've served you. That's another weak, pathetic word. What he said was, all these years I have slaved for you. I've been your slave. He lived his life to be the slave of the month. You know, he he obeyed every command of his father. He worked for his father, but by saying I've slaved for you, he meant he's been a drudge. I've dragged my feet through this. He knew all about his father, but he never knew him. He had a twisted mental belief concerning his father. And that belief system, and hear me carefully, because it's always the case, left him in control, at least in his mind. In his mind, he was in control of his father's acceptance. And uh, I mean, I mean, honestly, I meet hundreds of people in the same boat. I meet whole denominations who believe that. Um, if I do the right thing, if I press the right buttons, then my father will accept me. Um, if, if I say the right thing, if I do a job that's better than usual, my father is going to accept me. That's what he believed. but, and you see, this is where religion never changes. A person who believes that will at times, it's like the toothache that goes away, but it's always going to come back. And in coming back is because your tooth has gotten that bit worse. Um, and, And there are times in every religious person, the nagging feeling, that I haven't done enough. And I haven't done enough because my father didn't give me any accolades. He didn't give me any feast. He didn't. Therefore, what do I have to do? What is it my father wants that I haven't yet done? I'm obsessed with this. I'm like a horse with blinders on. I... I, That's my passion in life. What is it that I haven't done? I could give you this list of everything I have done, but it's, what can I say? Um, It's it's tormenting. uh, You might hear in my voice, I know what I'm talking about. I have been there back in my early life to, to live. And of course, I don't know. I was a religious chap for sure. Um, 
you know, I memorized the New Testament when I was 17 and, and finished it somewhere in my early 20s. Then I went out to memorize most of the Old Testament. That's turned out very good. I don't need a concordance. But um, it, you see, if a person would do that for God's acceptance, I have, is that enough? You see, is that enough? I, I was very religious. I, I fasted and prayed. One time I fasted for 21 days. And at the end of it, the Lord revealed I was on a hunger strike. It was not fasting. Um, you know, just do something to try and please God. And then, of course, get a handful of tracks and go and mug people on the boardwalk and tell them they're going to hell. And I've done it all, man. I've done it all. And I know that in quiet times, when you're not in, in all this busyness for God, there comes the nagging feeling that, have I, is that enough? And in today's world here in America, it means you go forward again and forward to the altar. Say this in his prayer over and over and over again, because I'm not sure. Oh, yes. Have you found yourself here yet? You say. Um, and of course, he, he looked at people as mirrors. Do you know, I don't think he knew anybody because he looked at everybody as a mirror. When I look at this person, I tell myself I'm better than them. I've seen myself in them and I like what I see. I am, you know, and that was a thing with the Pharisees. Jesus quoted their prayers in another place where they said, I thank you, O God, I'm not as other men. And I would never do what he's doing. Well, he, he had his younger brother every elder brother needs a younger brother because you desperately need a mirror that clearly shows how wonderful you are and and, and he said he would be saying it's woven into the pharisee i i thank god i thank you oh god i am not like my younger brother and i would never be like him i have never left the ranch to squander my father's money on prostitutes. I'm just that, not that kind of chap, you see. I, I am better than, better than. Now, do you realize how his whole life falls apart when he gets the message that his father has received the younger brother who in his eyes, the elder brother's eyes, was the scum of the earth. He has dragged his father's name in the mud. He has shamed us. He's taken the money of the people of God and spent it in a Gentile city. And his father received him. Of course, the, the elder brother didn't see the condition of the younger brother when he came home. That would have really done it. If you'd have seen the guy in rags and smelling like a pig and the father hugging him and kissing the muck on his face. But the elder brother didn't see that. But for all that, uh, the very idea, my father has received him in shalom. He's, re he's reconciled him and all his peace and all his good. And we're having a party and we've killed the fatted calf. I'd love to make a movie of this. 
um, to see that man when, when very literally everything has crashed. There's nothing else that makes sense. But what, what my father is doing is nonsense. It is against everything that all of society understands. What is my father doing? And he's running. He's running toward the village and, and his father's house. And I, I, I believe that there were tears of rage and confusion. How could you? How could you, my father? How could you without discussing it with me? You've never done this for me. Never. I, I have served you. I've slaved for you. And you didn't even notice me. You never rewarded me. And now you've rewarded this one who everybody would say should be punished. You've, you've rewarded him. My father's gone mad. He's got Alzheimer's. I mean, the man is, he's publicly rejecting me by accepting my younger brother and honoring him. He runs, he stumbles, he's, what? I, I, there's no words left. He, he doesn't know what to say. And as he comes toward the house, there's a custom. I think many of you know the custom, but let me say it anyway. The eldest son at a feast like this, and, but it would be a birthday party, I mean, any, any feast of any kind, the eldest son automatically took the place of his father, which freed up the father to visit with all the guests, and, and especially to sit beside the honored guest at the head table and visit when the elder son, now he would become essentially the maitre d'. He would look after, make sure everybody's served, everybody's, don't, don't let my father be bothered by anything. He, and, and as the eldest son, he would now serve the honored guest. Hmm. And as he's going across that field, knowing full well what the custom was, he, he would never... He would never serve that scumbag, his younger brother. He would never come to the table and, and put a plate in front. Never, never. <sighs> because in his mind to serve his younger brother would mean that the whole town would see I'm taking a position of less than I'm being dishonored in the presence of this one who's being honored. That's how he saw. By the time he gets to the house, he's already, do I even belong to this family? This family has gone insane before my eyes. No, I don't belong to this. I don't, I, there's nothing in common between us. Young, younger, don't call him my younger brother. There's nothing between me and that kid that, that resonates. He's not my brother. I don't know who he is, but he's not my brother. And my father, no, he, he's not my brother. That's his son. 
And if that's his son, then I, he's not my father and he's not my brother. I don't know what I'm doing here. He's going to tell his father that. I'm divorced from the family. This is over. I'm done. He arrives at the house. Now, he wouldn't go in, if you've read the story. He wouldn't go in. Which means then, he stayed on the porch. Well, on the porch of such a house, that's where the servants congregated, waiting to be told what to do. They, They were sent from the porch. So get the picture. This kid who is, is, is himself is almost demented. And, and he's standing on the porch with the servants, strangely, because that's what he's going to call himself in a minute. But it, it's all, by this time it's, it's dark. Darkness has set in. The blazing lights of the feast inside. A thousand candles, you know. And he's standing there in the dark with the servants. And one of the servants opens the door and says, you know, they're waiting for you. And that's what he refused. And by the the, the mood he's in, his refusal is, is angry, loud. If you're inside and you're sitting at the table and the father is sitting there with the younger brother, and suddenly you hear this kerfuffle going on at the door and the noise of angry voice, and I won't go in. I'd love to have been there with the camera. The silence, the awkward silence, as everybody sitting there, they're hearing this, uh, the elder brother. They're embarrassed. I mean, what what? They, they knew what at least they expected to happen. And this might sound extreme to you, but this is the world in which we're looking at. What should have happened by every custom known to a Hebrew person, the father would call the head servant and send the head servant to arrest that raving kid at the door. He has become what is all through the book of Proverbs. Do you remember the book of Proverbs about the foolish son? The foolish son who dishonors his mother and father and how the fool can never get sense but a good beating hopefully will do it. Well, I don't know if you just read that, but that's how the Hebrews lived. You never, you dare not, you never would dishonor your parents. And certainly not in public. Before the whole village, standing at the door, making a fool of himself? No, that would never happen. You've got to be demented. Upon arrest, such a son would be taken to a secure room, sort of jail, that was on the property. They, they were prepared for things like this. And he would be held there in jail 
until the elders at the gate of the city would determine what to do with this one that's insulted his father. In fact, the village would look upon that elder brother as worse than the younger brother. I want you to get that. And he might have gotten away with a beating with rods, cane, or he might have been banished from the family forever. But there was no servant called. Oh boy. I'm looking at Cheryl wondering what's going on here. You know, it's. Somebody's got to do something. There's a dead silence. Everybody's just looking at each other, listening to that raving idiot at the door. And then it says the father got up. Oh boy. Do you remember when we talked about the younger brother, the father? had to lift his long garments and make sort of Bermuda shorts with it. And, and he would have been the laughing stock of the village. An old man didn't do that. Never ran on his spindly varicose vein legs. I mean, no way. He is an elder of the village and walks sedately. And he was mocked for that. He would have to be. But this, the father, got up from the table. He walks through silent guests who are wondering what on earth is going on. He opens the door and he steps out into the darkness. But he steps out into the seething rage of the elder brother. Can you get the picture? We've talked about it. Jesus came into our darkness. Um, he doesn't address us from a distance. He does not do salvation for us. He is our salvation because he comes into our darkness, into our rage, get our hands on him. It's almost a precursor to the sufferings of Jesus. And when the elder brother sees his father, and remember where, where all the servants are, in the dark, the father has come out of the blazing light and stands in the darkness with the elder brother. Now, it says that he came and, verse 28, he was not willing to go. And his father came out and began entreating him. Do you remember what I said about the elder brother? In your face, you do what I say. Entreating, it's another tiny word in the Greek, means to come alongside and to plead to entreat, gentleness, patience, kindness. What are you doing? Come in. Huh. Came alongside. 
And then the sun exploded. And this is where we could probably take another hour just to look at his explosion and and especially the father's answer. But I, you get inside his head. You do that if you read these and, and don't stop meditating until you're inside the head. This man, elder brother, he believes that he has been his father's slave. He believes it. In his rage, it just spews out of his mouth all these years. I've slaved for you. You've never said anything that I haven't done. That's what he, he really believes that. And he says, but you, you never gave me a feast. Never once. Didn't recognize me. So that I could have a feast with my friends. That is... You you can have your younger son. I've got my friends. You never. And, and why would you give the feast? I've just told you why. I've slaved all these years. I deserve it. I've earned it. I have the right to it. His idea of the feast was receiving an Oscar. You know, I, I, I've earned it. And now the my peers are going to celebrate me nothing about relationship and his father doesn't say anything he's come alongside him and the first thing about being and an entreating is to listen and he listens to all this and then he answers I can tell you the truth I have spent nearly 70 years on these verses and what the father said to him in, in preparing this has become more real than ever before ever before again the translation my, my translation here New American Standard gets pretty close it, it says the father said to him my child. That is, I'll have to say, as translations go, that's good. Um, many of your translations will say, the father said, my son. He did not say, my son. He didn't. The exact word there is, he said to him, my dear little boy, my child. But it's endearment, my child. It is my dear little boy. And that is so specific in, in the language. Um, you can tell that, like we've already seen, when Jesus was born, there's a, there's a word in the Greek for that, the newborn. But then when the magi, wise men, came, it says the child. That means a two-year-old. This one means a child of maybe six or seven. He says, my dear little boy. Oh, that, that's interesting. Um, my dear little boy. I mean, have you got the picture? This dear little boy, his, his eyes are popping out in rage. He's 
red in the face he does and he's tripping over his own words. The father just looks and says, my dear little boy, I'm always with you. All that I have is yours. Now, it's necessary we stop this conversation and get in there and enjoy the feast. For your brother has come home. He was lost, he's found, he was dead, he's alive. It's time to make merry. What is Jesus doing? My dear little boy. I mean, let that sink in. I'm the boss man. I order people around. Yeah, my dear little boy. My dear little boy. You, you have just complained to me all you've done. Slaving for me. Keeping all my commands. But not finding the one thing that will cause me to reward you and honor you as my son. That's what I've just heard. That's what you just said that. But you see, there's nothing you can do to earn being my son. You are my son. You don't work to get it. A relationship can never be earned because it's blood relationship. You're a son or you're not. Who's your father? I'm your father. You are my son. So what are we going to do about that? Go back to being a little seven-year-old. That's how we're going to deal with it. My dear little boy, don't you remember when you pulled your toy truck around the ranch? Did it ever occur to you for one moment that I was not your father? You just, it is so, it is, little boy. Little boy, you never once questioned that I was your father or that I knew that I was your father or that I was proud of you, my eldest boy. Back at seven years old, you understood it. Father-son relationship is. That's it. It just is. Never, I say again, it never occurred to you to earn your right to be my son. It never, it never crossed your mind. It is so. It is. I've heard Jesus say that before. Except you become as a little child, you will not even see the kingdom of God. Unless you become as a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of God. You do not enter the kingdom of God by presenting the final work. This is what I did for you, God. And God says, you did it, boy. Now you're my son. No. You is. What's got into you, boy? My dear little boy. 
be the little boy. And then as Isaiah the prophet said, a little child shall lead them. Jesus is the ultimate little child. And Jesus told us you'll see nothing until you come as a little child. It's simple trust in a now relationship. What do I have to do? What do I have to do? You is. It's not a matter of doing to get. You is. It's the now relationship. And where does that begin? In Father's love, not in what I do. And the Father makes it abundantly clear in this parable. It is of no importance to me. What you have done, you have done. Whether it be the younger brother's kind of doing or the elder brother's kind of doing, you've done it. So, what's the problem? Did Did I throw you out of the family? No, I didn't throw your younger brother out. When he tried to tell me, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Don't be daft, man. You never were worthy. Worthiness has got nothing to do with it. You're my son. Like it or not, you're my son. Forget it completely. You're my son. Say I never want to see you again. You're my son. Tell me I'm not worthy to be called your son. Now that's stupid. (laughs) You, You can't be worthy. You're not worthy. That's not the issue. It's relationship, you see. It's relationship. And now you come to me and you give this whole list of things you think were earning your right to become my son. No, you can't. You can't. It's a relationship. You is. You is. I is your father. You is my dear little boy. Huh. And you, you, you give all these reasons. You've been... Adding them up in your head. All these reasons to convince me, your father, to call you my son and to honor you as my son. Why, why would you do that? Why do you pile up? Why do you tell yourself, I've fasted, I've prayed. I, I've, you know, won so many souls to Christ and all the rest. Why? why? What, what are you doing that for? Is it because... Deep down, there's that fear that you haven't made it yet. Is that why you swagger to the servants and you bully them? Because you're trying to convince yourself you're you're the boss here. I really am his son. No. You're obsessed with yourself. That's what it is. You're obsessed with what you do instead of focusing on me who is the source of the relationship in fact your attempt to prove that you have a right to this relationship it not only didn't help but it was an armor to make sure that you were encased inside it and I couldn't get to you and here you stand Raging, making a fool of yourself worse than your younger brother. Now, come on, my dear little boy. 
Let's go back to pulling your truck around the ranch and saying, Abba, Abba, Abba. He's my dad. And then he said, I'm always with you. Why does he say that? Because that's really what this elder brother wanted. Can, can, can you again get inside his head and look through that door and see his father sitting next to the younger brother? And he says it in effect, that's what I want. That's, that's why I was doing all of this. So that I, I, I would be together and I would know you're my, my father and I would be worthy of it. It's what you want, isn't it? You've seen the younger brother close to me, together with me, honored. But you see, I am. I have always and always will be with you. Actually, again, we could play with that word. It means I'm close beside you. You might, if you know the Old Testament, the Lord be with you. It's a strong covenant word. In the New Testament, you've got um, P-R-O-S, pros, which means a witness of face-to-face. -face. The Father says, I mean, we, we didn't just live in the same house. I was with you. I was close, face-to-face -face with you. Notice he's saying this is history. It's the way it's been. I, I have been with you. Can you handle this? You are so engaged in looking for the one thing that in your mind will make me notice you that you're blind to the fact you've never been out of my sight. I have been with you as close, with you in my thoughts as well as my body. I delight in you. I am always with you. Look, at least three times a day, we have a feast together. Did you, did you notice? Or is it because it happened every day, you missed it? We've, we've walked this ranch together. We've talked. We've discussed. But you didn't hear. You didn't see. You didn't realize that our breakfast, lunch, and dinner was a feast of father and son. You didn't hear it. You didn't enjoy it. Why? Because of that tormenting inner voice. That tormenting voice that exhausts you. That continually asked, what must I do to earn my father's love? Come on, you're, si you're, you're sitting right here. I didn't prepare this for someone who's not here. Um, yet you're here. You know what I mean. And I'm not condemning you, I've been there. That tormenting voice. You're not good enough. And at your age, you're afraid you miss it forever. It's 
You see, I, I was raised sort of. There, there was no religion in my early life except a hangover from my mother had been extremely religious, had walked out of it and then felt guilty for the rest of her life and um, took the guilt out on us. So we, we kept some weird, weird rules that made no sense to me or anybody else in the family, but it was that. Well, I was then part of a church that would say, until you've said the right words, he's not with you. Would, would somebody please read this? The father said to this unspeakably insulting Pharisee rage, I am always with you. <laughs> Did you get it? This man was the poster child for, I do, I do, I work, I deserve, I've earned it. And the father said, you missed it go back to being a seven-year-old boy, you'll understand it. And realize in all your seeking to do that whatever something, I've always been with you, right there across the table, eye to eye, face to face, feasting together, talking together about the ranch. And all and thirdly, he said, all that I have is yours. Oh, because that's true from birth. You inherited. But don't you remember when, when you came with your younger brother, because you didn't have the courage, uh, you came with your younger brother and demanded, you remember, you said to me, I wish you'd drop dead so that I could get the inheritance. So let's have the reading of the will and divide. You were there, son. You got two-thirds of this ranch. Your brother got a third. Look at it. It's yours. I live here. By law, I earn my living here. But it's yours. It came from me. I gave it to you. It's yours. It's weird. You own this ranch with me, but you think of yourself and you act as a pauper. Your mind, you are poverty-stricken. You don't have any. I'm a slave. All these years I've slaved for you. Slaves don't have anything. That's his mentality. You wouldn't even give me a goat. Well, why should I give you a goat? The jolly herd is yours. <laughs> I mean, if you want a goat, have a goat. If you want a calf, have a calf. It's all yours. Uh, he was talking to the Pharisee. I, I thought, th this language that he's using, I am with you, 
all that I have is yours. That sounds like New Testament letters written to believers. But is it is it that he is with and with and with not checking out your creed, but just because you is, he's with you. And just because you is, he has given to you the fullness of the Godhead in Christ. And is it possible that the heart of sin is not a sin nature, but rather blindness and darkness that you don't see who you are because you don't see who he is. And you wander around in that darkness, tripping over, making a fool of yourself, behaving disgustingly. But you're blind to what is, what the truth is, 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 is. It's there. And you slam right into it and don't see it. And you sit at the table every morning, noon, and night and don't see it. Ah. You, you see, God is portrayed as jealously guarding everything he owns and withholding it from you because you're not good enough yet. God clinging to his possessions because you haven't groveled enough. You haven't said, I'm not worthy enough. Come on, lower, eat dust. And maybe this miserable God that you call God will find it in him to throw a crumb. He is saying to this man, all that I have is yours. You're working out of a mental poverty in order to earn and to get what is already yours. <sighs> so come here, my little boy. Let's sit down and think like six-year-olds. Awake to the wonder that I'm always with you. Did you realize the sinner's prayer, so-called, actually should just be one word? Wow! I got it! I've seen it! It's not groveling. It's seeing what is. The inheritance is yours. But does that mean that salvation is merely adjusting our outlook on life? No. For our eyes to be open, it took the incarnation, which is a big theological word for some people. It, it means that God, God our Creator, God the Son, coming because the Father loved you and sent his Son, and his Son choosing to come. And he actually took to himself our humanity. God never ceased to be God. He took on 
true humanity and God is being God inside us human. Or to put it another way, he came inside our darkness. He settled in with us on the porch with the slaves. And he didn't come to condemn you, but to sit beside you and say, please, let's talk about this. It took God assuming you and I. He became the younger brother. Does that, if he took to himself our humanity, it meant that he took to himself the way the younger brother expressed his self-agenda. But he became the elder brother. He became the arrogant religious Pharisee. He embraced us both and carried us to the cross. And when he died, we died. And when he rose, younger brother, elder brother, are presented to the Father. And Jesus said, I found them, I brought them home. And there was rejoicing in heaven. Um, that is what the word really means. That is... To me, translators have reached the lowest point they could ever reach when they translate this word repentance. The Greek word metanoia cannot be translated as repentance. What is repentance? It's a Latin word, re, which in Latin means to do over and over and over and over again. Pent is Penance. So, repentance, the English word repentance, means to do penance over and over and over again. Well, what is penance? It's a Roman Catholic expression. Look it up in any dictionary, especially a Catholic dictionary. Penance is the voluntary self-punishment in order to earn grace to the soul, atone for your sin, be delivered from it and gain forgiveness and friendship with God. Boy, if ever that, that's a do-it-yourself program. And, and added to that then becomes my wailing over how wrong I am and everything I shouldn't have done. Woe is me, woe is me. And then I will do this and I will do this and I will punish myself in order to gain God's acceptance. That's what the English word repentance means. How on earth did Satan so blind the minds? The word metanoia is the most beautiful word in the Greek language. There was a church father, not altogether um, to be followed, but in the second century, you might have heard of Tertullian, and he protested. Now, this is very important. Tertullian saw what was coming, what they were doing with this word metanoia, and he protested, and it's in writing, 
He said, metanoia is not and never can be a confession of sin. Cannot. It's got nothing to do with the confession of sin, but rather a radical change of mind. That's Tertullian, who spoke Greek and wanted to alert people, don't you know your own language? Metanoia is a work of the Holy Spirit in which we come to the light. And in so doing, we come to our sense of who we really are. Metanoia is a transforming, radical change in our thinking so that we can see and understand God's mind and logic. Or you could say it's an awakening. It's a wow. It's an enlightening. It's a seeing as God sees and understands a radical change of mind. And that leads to faith. I I don't have to work at it. It leads me to, to faith. I've seen. My eyes have been opened. I get it. Faith follows. It's, it's automatically. Um, and that automatically, and I say that very carefully, I mean automatically it produces a change of behavior. When I see who God is, I see who I am because of who he is then there are certain things and a whole bunch of certain things I just don't want to do anymore. Half of the, no, it was almost 100% of the elder brother's life was trying to please the father in order to earn his acceptance. Well, now he's seen it, he doesn't need to do any of that again. It's gone, forget. It wasn't 10 steps to doing this. It was, I see it. And upon seeing it, I trust. And in trusting my behavior, begins to change. Well, what can I tell you? No, it will have to be another week. We'll work a little bit at it. But there it is. I do realize, uh, I'm aware, you know, the reason there's been so much excitement of one kind or another over these three messages It's because it really is. This is what it's all about. And that reward and punishment is what the world is all about. And I include in that world much religion. It is. And without intending to excite or upset so many people, um, I I think we put our finger on something. And... um, Let, let me say this. What the heck? I'm, I'm away enough. You should have a few more minutes. Um, it, it's in order to believe this, follow me very carefully. The father didn't bring logic to the younger brother. The younger brother comes home with all his, his religious thing. And the father does not in any way address it. Did you notice? It doesn't address it. Just dismisses it. So the father doesn't get you or me from where we are to where he wants us to be. He doesn't do that by logic. See, I've heard some 
some of you say, when I understand this, then I'll get, no, 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 no. Doesn't work that way. It's not logic. Let me put it like this. When, he, when you see the logic of God, the love of God in the face of Jesus, and what he has accomplished, then you stand with Jesus against your own common sense. Right? This is not some explosion, you know. The, no. Is this the truth of God? Then if it is, stand with truth against your own logic. Huh. It's, you know, it says, you are my son. Bring out the best of we didn't discuss this. I just got through telling you I'm not worthy to be called your son. What do you say about that? Nothing. <laughs> just bring the best robe, put it on him. Do you, you've got to get this. It's illogic. Everything I've lived with, everything I've been taught, everything that I've said is truth, isn't. And here I see something so utterly other. And there's no logic. He just looks at me and says, pull your truck through the ranch, little boy. You are my son. You are my son. Bring the best robe, put it on him. All that I have is your... I'm dizzy here. What do you mean? He's going against everything that I've ever learned about behavior and justice and rightness and your sovereignty and, and you are destroying my identity no I'm actually unearthing your identity you see but uh, you see there's no logic here we don't move step this isn't 12 steps they are called to stand against themselves on the side of the Father to be who they do not feel they are nor have any history of being did you did you hear that they are called to stand against themselves and their own logic with the Father to be who they do not feel they are, nor do they have a history of ever being. It was necessary to contradict who they thought themselves to be. Come on. Be what you do not feel yourself to be. Because the Father has said it's the truth. And it's spoken in Jesus. And right now it is being brought to you by the Holy Spirit. Dress in clothes that do not fit your self-identity. 
I mean, bring the best robe, put it on me. I've just told you I'm not your son. I'll put on a robe. But that doesn't fit who I feel I am. But it is who you are. Come to me into a world that right now looks like a fairy story. <laughs> this is what it means when it says God is the God who speaks of things that are as if they are not and speaks of things that are not as though they are. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, but you've got it now. You've seen it. It is really. See, I'm trying to tell you, this isn't a world of logic. You've come into the world of real relationship. C.S. Lewis really got this. And I don't know how many people really got what he was saying. But in one of his lesser-known books to the general public is Till We Have Faces. I don't know if you ever read that. But Till We Have Faces, and, and it cuts down to this, that there are two women involved, and the one is to be sacrificed to the beast. And so her sister goes the next morning to sort of mourn her death and bury the body or whatever. When she gets there, there's no sign whatsoever except that all the chains that held her have been broken and there's nothing there. And so she's confused. And, and then she sees her sister on the other side of a river. And she says, well, what are you doing? You're, the beast came. And, and, and the girl says, yes, the beast came. But then this great savior came and killed the beast and set me free and brought me here to this incredible castle. Look at it. And her sister looks and there's nothing there. And, and the sister says, but it's, a, it's such a beautiful place. Why don't sit down here and have a glass of wine with me? And, and the sister hands her, but she can't see. And then she pours, but she doesn't see the bottle. And her sister is enjoying the wine, and she's trying to, it's almost like paying a, a tea party. She says, finally, she says, I can't go along with this anymore. You're going mad. You're, you're nuts. There's nothing here. And there's no wine. There's no cup. There's no. And the sister looks at her. She says, but we're, we're, you're, you're sitting in the, this beautiful palace. And, and, and the sister said, you've gone mad. And gets up and leaves and crosses the river. And as she does, she turns around and she sees it. This great palace. And all the servants, and and it's gone. You understand? That was not describing a logical, you know, sign here, conversion. That is, I've woken up to see the invisible. I've come to see God as He really is. And you look at me and say, "You've gone nuts." And I have to say, come and enjoy the peace of God. Come and enjoy the joy of the Lord. And you say, I don't see anything. I, 
And then your eyes are opened and the sinner's prayer, wow, I've seen it. Hear the father's laugh right now. He's laughing, not at you, but he's laughing over your forgiveness. He's laughing over the fact that you were created in Christ Jesus to be adopted into the family of God. That's who you are. Then we accept our true identity. There's a sense in which I'll quit on this. That I challenge you to leave this gathering and for 24 hours act as if it's true. See, your logic right now is saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Okay, I'll, I'll accept that. So let's play a game then. If logic doesn't get it, let's play a game. Let's pretend every word I've said this morning is true. See, we'll we leave the word believe out because then logic jumps in and says, no, just, just do it. Uh, and I mean it. Go from this place to pretend in everything you do and say, what I said this morning is true. And at the end of 24 hours, you'll realize it is. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? To begin with, with tentative steps, well, at least I can pretend it's true. But then you discover there really is a wine glass in my hand. And I really am drinking the wine of heaven. Boy, I've never seen so many quiet people looking at me through screens. I, I've seen... I've seen people's lives changed on that kind of stupid thing I just said. And that's why I say it again. And mean it. Mean it. Pretend. Only this time you're pretending the truth. Have you ever tried that? I'm pretending the truth. And I mean in everything as life touches me, I pretend it's the truth. And you will discover that the Holy Spirit brings you to the reality of this. So, Father, we give you thanks in the name, Lord Jesus Christ. Your salvation leaves us speechless. Your salvation leaves us dancing for joy. And we give you thanks for opening our eyes and revealing to us who you truly are and who we truly are in Christ Jesus. So giving you thanks, we move now to celebrate you in the Holy Communion. Amen and amen.